Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Creanitators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today, I am joined by Dan Scotty, creator of Lavender Jack, artist on Will Eisner's The Spirit, and San Hannibal. Lavender Jack is one of my favorite webtoons following the exploits of costume adventurer Sir Mimley Bastrop, taking on the corrupt elements of wealth and power in the made-up early 20th century city of Gallery. Uh, the series infuses elements of superhero, detective, steampunk, a whole lot more. Season 3 will conclude with the final 11 episodes starting on September 19th, which, as we're recording this, is only four days away. So we're definitely going to want to talk about that a lot. Uh, Dan, thanks so much for joining. Uh, how is the prep going for getting Lavender Jack ready for the return? Like everything like this, it's going well enough, but not as well as you want. <laughs> sure. But also, it's a... Uh, it's that it's that pressure and muscle ache that often leads to the best last minute changes. Okay. Okay. So it's so you've got eleven episodes to mm-hmm. to conclude uh, the final acts here of Lavender Jack season three. Um, folks can read a whole chunk of it right now over on Webtoon, and of course, there's a hundred plus episodes making up all three seasons to date. But that was one of my questions: is is it fully complete, or like is this a you finish it up as it releases sort of thing. It sounds more like the latter. A lot of it is complete. Yeah. Um, the the last couple episodes are very big budget. Uh, and so they've, they've taken a little bit longer to, to draw and get together. Um, sure. Partially just because uh, this is the biggest thing I've ever finished. Like, uh, you know, the spirit was 12 issues, but every three episodes of a webtoon at least the the way that i do lavender jack is about a comic book and Mm. it's been over a hundred episodes so this is by by any metric this is the longest thing i've ever done and uh you know you just want to make sure you land it right yeah yeah that's interesting yeah because i with webtoon which i've over the last couple years have been sort of slowly like getting up to speed with like okay you like this is there's a ton of great stuff here. <laughs> like you can't, you can't be a fan of comics these days and not sort of uh, keep tabs on what's going on there. And oftentimes it can feel overwhelming. But there's great variance in length, right? It's mm-hmm. often totally up to the creator. Some of the stuff is like super short, quick hit stuff. Uh, Lavender Jack is is much longer, I think, and much fuller by mm-hmm. comparison to a lot of the other stuff that at least I've experienced on there. Um, so the books the book's been on hiatus, on hiatus since uh, 2021. Mm-hmm. It's coming back. I guess for for fans of the book, you know, you mentioned kind of at the intermission, you had some health issues. You want to take a break. How are how are you doing? Are your hands okay? Are your arms okay? What's what's the health of <laughs> of the artist here? Um, the health is pretty good now. It was a bit of a rough year uh, he- heading up to this, and thankfully, Webtoon was very patient with me. Um, yeah, they um. You know, for for a company with this quick turnaround as Webtoon, and there is some uh, discourse about that. You know, there there is a lot of grind to it. Um, there is a lot that's expected of artists very quickly. And Lavender Jack is a very high effort comic. It's it's plotted very densely and it's it's drawn very densely. Yeah. Um, we don't reuse a lot of assets. Uh, pretty much everything is you know, like we don't use three D models for the background. It's pretty much all by hand. That said. Webtoon, like once once a series ends, it doesn't go away. They they keep it in their library forever. And yeah. when it comes to ending something like this, I think, you know, 
it's it's late once, but it's good forever if you nail it. Mm. Um, and so it was very it was very nice to see that that they were on board with that and didn't want to you know make me rush it when I was sick. Yeah, they're they're, they're an ambitious company, but they're not monsters. Well, that's good. That is good. Yeah, I'm curious about that. So, like, for comics fans, you know, like myself, who are familiar with obviously the big two and and standard, you know, print to comic shop models. Um, we know about, you know, there's editorial oversight, right? And there's publisher arms. Webtoon is sort of this, I think for a lot of fans like myself, this amorphous sort of, you know, corporate blob. And it's like, well, what is like, cause you like on Lavender Jack, like you work within an ed- editor, right? But mm-hmm. that's like your own team. That's not like a Webtoon assigned thing. So when you're talking about Webtoon, like who are the overseers of Lavender Jack and, you know, your production? Well, my, my editor actually is uh, was assigned to me, so to speak, uh, initially. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, Brie Boswell is one of the senior editors at, um, at Webtoon and was, I think, an associate editor when she started on Lavender Jack uh, a little bit into season one, taking yeah. over from the original editor, Becca Caden. And so Brie's uh, quite steep uh, trajectory upward at Webtoon has sort of... Uh, happened alongside the life of lavender jack which has been very cool to see i feel like i got in on the ground floor of of you know somebody you know with with real sky's the limit potential um but as far as the rest of the team uh jen manley lee who's been the colorist since the very beginning um she uh she uh, i was living in portland at the time and jen was connected to the uh helioscope the the um, artist collective mm-hmm. I was a part of. She was, uh, you know, sort of attached to, to us. And uh, once I saw her work, um, her work, which is incredibly uh, sensitive and intelligent, um, like a great, a great intelligence for how to, how color informs story and characterization um, while still being um, quite, quite local, quite, quite, um, uh, uh, like the the colors aren't fantastical they're mm. they're vibrant and sort of pastel versions of, of what the world would actually look like which is a really hard uh line to split like it, it looks kind of like a taika watiti movie mm. in the sense in that it that strides the line between style and, and reality so yeah. as soon as i saw that um and as soon as i saw that she'd been you know doing her own webcomic dice box for 87 years i i was like i this is my first choice like especially since this was my first webcomic since i was a teenager like i wanted somebody who who had that um those bona fides you know that that grit and uh i was so pleased when she said yes and she's been with me for a hundred and like 13 or so episodes now okay okay awesome yeah no, that's it. And it, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you called that out because the coloring on Lavender Jack is, is fantastic. I mean, obviously there's the, the actual costuming of, of characters, you know, like Jack. Um, but then even just like, just the, the way that you have to sell tone and facial expression, um, because it's, it's a conversation, conversation and investigation heavy book at times, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not necessarily, you know, you said it's going to end big budget, which I think is not, not shocking and makes sense. But like the book isn't always that it has those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but color has to sell a lot of that stuff too, you know, and I, and I think that yeah. comes across nicely. Yeah. Especially, uh, uh because it is, uh, it, it, it has some light elements, but also has a lot of noir elements and yeah. it's hard to find a colorist who actually knows how to thread that needle. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I really like the use of shadow um, really since the series inception. You know, I always think of like Gene Colan and then like Mike Mignola is kind of the artist I think of that are the best at like, you know, shadow. Like obviously I think yeah. Hellboy is, is something where it's like, you know, sometimes you can say more with what you're not showing. Um, mm-hmm. Lavender Jack's great at that. It's great mm-hmm. at that. And I know it's, it's both you and, I, and the colorist. Yeah. I don't get Gene Colan very often. That's a huge compliment. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Love his stuff. I, and something I do try to do in Lavender Jack is the kind of um, unexpected, twisty, more fluid uh, anatomy he would use in his fight scenes. Like he, yeah. he really wasn't afraid to like have this combination of Jack Kirby and Bern Hogarth style uh, motion and, and torque to his figures. Yeah. And I, I, try to, I try to remember to do that with Lavender Jack because it, it can be good to do the, the straight Frank Miller sort of more prescriptive version of force but sometimes you need that that fluid um like more sensitive like it makes me think of how um uh, some football teams are asked to practice ballet like you Mm -hmm. you need that fluidity to inform the the you know more more rough and tumble tackle stuff and i i I try to do that as well that's that's interesting calling (laughs) <laughs> sure sure no it's an interesting comparison because it is when you think of when i think of lavender jack definitely uh i mean the superhero comps that that first are going to come to mind for people are obviously going to be the batman um mm-hmm. because of the fact that you have this character who is incredibly wealthy and then a superhero on the side you know trying to to do the right thing and, and take out the corruption in the city um but i see a ton of daredevil in this because of the noirish elements because of i guess just sort of the kind of the, the early days daredevil the more of the lighter you know kind of pre mm-hmm frank miller era um but long-winded way of saying when you're talking about the acrobatics of jack and just the action sequences i'm definitely the type of reader who i i, I love frank miller daredevil absolutely but the prescriptive action i don't need it to make sense like it's part of why i love kirby is like i kind of don't care if the body's twisting don't ultimately add up to like human anatomy yeah <laughs> you know like it's actually not super essential because comics is a medium you can kind of get away with that, right? Things add up at the end, essentially. Yes, something feeling right, in my opinion, at least the way I draw, something feeling right is more important than it being right. Mm. Um, as anybody who critiques my knowledge of geography in the in the plotting will tell you. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I, I, you know, pretty early on in my career, I, I took a, a pretty serious look at what my strengths were, how... Um, like what I could and couldn't do as an artist at the time and landed on the idea that I'm uh, like, I have my ceilings as an illustrator, but I think I'm extremely talented as a a storyteller Mm. Um, and using, you know, theater techniques and low budget film techniques as, uh, as a way to condense the visual elements I had to draw to get across the kind of story I wanted to tell. Um, which is why, like early on in the comic, you see a lot more like traced buildings and and slightly more like high effort crowd scenes. Hmm. But those just go by in a blink of an eye when you're scrolling on webtoon. Like yeah. you, you you do you have to think about you have to think about how the information is being conveyed differently, and it usually does come down to less is more. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's definitely interesting how the how the medium would shape that. So it, let's let's look again, kind of at. So we're wrapping things up here, or you're wrapping things up here with Levin. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely. If you can sneak me in in a credit, I will accept it, but probably I don't deserve that. Um, the final eleven issues are here, 
why do you feel like now is the time to end it? Uh, definitely the world of Lavender Jack, I think, has found a, a big audience on Webtoon. It is the type of story that certainly could go for a good long time. That said, good stories often have good endings. Uh, why now? Why now for you? Well, there there were a number of factors. Um, it wasn't um, it wasn't entirely my call, um, and uh, you know because Lavender Jack has a in terms of raw number of people who read it and are fans of it, it's huge. It's it's bigger than anything else I've ever done. But in terms of webtoon, it's definitely a small fish, mm. and um, and I think they're pivoting to focus on different kinds of stories. Um, Lavender Jack was brought on to webtoon during a period of some experimentation when they were making really like aggressive proactive strides into the american uh style of doing comics so i i long long story short it it made sense to not try for another season at webtoon um now in terms of story it does this is a pretty reasonable place to leave it you know we've we've built from you know a a fairly intimate uh like criminal conspiracy revenge story in season one to essentially a political terrorist story in season two and then season three is about world war one or it's its corresponding version of it in our world right and with every step of it we track the themes of uh how does how do the ideas of noblesse oblige of the wealthy having responsibility to to take care of the less fortunate how do how does the pressures the 20th century put on those ideals uh evolve as you widen the scope of of like how how big an area how many people you're looking at um it, madame ferrier says it in in an episode of season three that uh in, in its own way, war is the largest criminal conspiracy the human race is capable of. Um, so approaching war from the perspective of a detective story, of a, you know, a, a, a class-based vigilante story, um, this makes a lot of sense as the like uh, final exam for those characters and those themes. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's, it's definitely all everything that happened in season one coming full circle in terms of the antagonist, right. With lady Hawthorne Mm -hmm. and the Hawthorne's returning. I mean, yeah, no, it's, it's a definitely feels like a successful um, ending point or it could be, I guess the, the thing for me is more when I say it feels like it could keep going. um, It's just because you built such a fully enriched world with all these characters where like when you do, for example, the flashbacks with, um, with detective Ferrier or uh, Ferrier in these, uh, the buildup to this final conclusion, it's like, oh, like you could, you could do those for a good chunk of time, right? If you wanted, you know, so I, I feel like there's obviously, and I'm sure you thought about this. There's a lot of directions you could go. I guess, let me, let me ask it out right then. So like you're doing this through Webtoon, um, superhero type stories kind of like this definitely aren't the bread and butter of the platform at this point. When it ends, when it comes to a conclusion, kind of where do you stand in terms of being able to take lavender jack somewhere else uh or even just stuff like getting the print run out there and things like that well it's it's a little complicated for various reasons but i i would love to find a home for more lavender jack stories after this and, yeah. and probably after a, a bit of a break um i i have um i have i have a couple things that uh are coming together for 2023 that i'd 
I'd like to focus on for a while. Sure. And, and Lavender Jack, I've been doing it for uh, between four and five years, depending on when you start the counter of, of doing it, like the, mm-hmm. if, how much of pre-production you count. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I've, I've evolved as a storyteller since then. And I've, um, there are just things I would do differently. And I wouldn't mind having a year or so's break to, um, to sort of reevaluate those with fresh eyes, those elements. Mm. Um, that said, you know, throughout the, basically since the, since season one, there's always been talk of doing a, a Teresa Ferrier series. Sure. Um, and, and I've actually done a lot of work for that, you know, cause she's, uh, she's in her, her mid sixties for most of the events of Lavender Jack. And just for my own, like just because it's useful for timelines to lock some things down, I I placed her birth date in 1850, um, since since the beginning of writing her, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know if she's starting out as a detective in her early 20s, that gets us into the 1870s, which is a fascinating period in France. They had just lost the Austro um, Austro-Hungarian War, and the whole country was like a lot of it was, was badly damaged in the war. Uh, people got really conservative and, and scared and mean mm. and like, like what a great sort of Gotham city version of France to, to track these two detectives in. you know, Madame yeah. Ferrier, who's like young and kind of raw and her partner, Captain Barada, who he's seen in, in flashbacks and who, you know, like has has just lost his arm and is dealing with that like i would love to do that series um but uh whenever like whenever it's looking it it looked like we might pivot to that uh we ended up doing another season of lavender jack instead and um and i i don't think we'd be able to go right into it after lavender jack ends um but, but very very long answer to your question but i there is a lot more to do in this world I'd love to check in and see what's happening in the sixties in, in this universe, you know, elderly versions of, of the characters that make it. Um, I'd love to see like a space race in the forties. You know, just uh, I I think there are ideas that would scale really well into stories that press on into the 20th century. And, and if we like track those one at a time, we could potentially build to see what, the world of gallery looks like right now who knows what that would be like maybe we worse i don't know that's interesting so yeah talking about sort of that alternate history exploration of these characters actually catching up for these these generational sort of you know who are their offspring and, and who's still connected to them and all that you know that makes me think of i've seen you reference in interviews and it's something that i actually caught up on somewhat recently um i had read the first few issues uh, as matt wagner's grendel Oh, yeah. um, and how that series, it feels like it's one thing. And then as it continues, it's like, oh, it is a story across centuries, um, you know, across space, right? Now it's gone to, uh, it gets massive, right? And it's definitely something that I think is often very fun. Uh, you you got to work with Matt Wagner on The Spirit, on, on The right. Legends of the Spirit. Uh, what were, you know, as a fan, as a creator yourself, like what were definitely some of the biggest lessons you learned in that mm. in that experience? Matt was such an education because uh, I, I didn't go to art school. Um, all of all of the abilities that I brought up to working on the spirit were were self taught, mm-hmm. and Matt, you know, storied professional. Like he taught me how to use a light box. He taught me a bunch of time saving methods. Um, 
like and he taught me just little tools that you don't learn casually like um on every page make sure in one panel there's a big head because hmm. if if the head like it it breaks up the size of the panel and or of the it, it breaks up the variety of figures you you see it uh, it allow, it gives you one cut in to focus on what a character is saying just like sure. little little things like that um huh. and uh and a big thing that he impressed on me was um like how how the communication is the most important thing and if you're trying to get too stylish and finicky but it's getting in the way you're you're like making your life harder and you're making the book worse mm. um so so to to draw the way i do which is pretty stylistically and to have matt who's you know was an inspiration to me as a kid as somebody who draws that way it was uh like it, was, it was an extremely like mr miyagi relationship and yeah. it was hard on me too. Like he, he would have me redraw whole pages. Um, every week I would bring my pages to his studio, his physical studio in, in, uh, in Portland. And, uh, you know, especially in those beginning issues, it was, it was pretty tough stuff. But early on, he saw that I could take that, that I wasn't somebody who was very precious with my work. Um, and anybody who has the misfortune of being around me all the time will tell you that there really is nobody who's more like, relentlessly frank about about my work than i am um but it's because i know how good it can be i i have i have great confidence in my abilities i think that when it comes to what i do um by the time i hit 40 i think i'm going to be one of the best people working at doing the kind of comics i do um but if i want to get there you know matt didn't mollycoddle me i can't mollycoddle myself mm. yeah yeah, it is one of those interesting things with with comic artists where your work progresses so steadily. I feel like a lot of times in the industry with writers, it it doesn't necessarily translate the same way. Like with writing and storytelling, like there's a certain there's not a cutoff. Like writer, like there are plenty of writers who stay good for a good long time, mm -hmm. but there's a certain I don't know, like there's a certain churn in the industry where it's like people have their moments. And it lasts for five to seven years. But then, like, then it seems like with, with illustration, obviously Kirby being the king and all that, but it's like, it's so easy to forget that like, you know, when he's coming on and, you know, inventing the Marvel Universe in the 60s, he'd been doing it for 20 years. Like he'd been around forever at that point, yeah. you know? And it's like, well, it's such a skill that you just have to, you'd have to get the hours in. You know, uh, you know, 1940s Kirby is different from 60s Kirby is different from 80s Kirby. Like he, mm -hmm. he evolved a lot. He always had the same, you know, storytelling priorities, if you will. But he, uh, uh, you see that growth in him. You see that growth in artists like Neil Adams. Um, you just see, uh, you see a lot of um, writers progress as well, but their progress is a little bit harder to see. Um, in my opinion, writers tend to be a little more susceptible to falling into ruts. Yeah. Um, and um, like one of a writer I really liked uh, coming up was Brian Azzarello, and who's done amazing, amazing work. Um, yeah. You know his comic Batman Broken City is amazing. Uh, I really liked his Cage comic with, with Richard Corbin. Mm. Um, obviously, A Hundred Bullets is is you know seminal like early two thousands comics. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think he fell into a lot of tropes. I think he got addicted to a certain rhythm of storytelling. And it wasn't 
a good enough rhythm to keep his work interesting to me at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I, I still think he's doing good work, but um, in terms of like, I, I, I feel like he's an example of a writer that for Dan Scotty plateaued in a way that um, like a, a Brian Michael Bendis, it has stayed fresh to me throughout his. It's the name I was just thinking of, actually. Yeah. Yeah, because Bendis definitely has a rhythm. He has a mm-hmm. type of story that he tells. But if you look at uh, the original Powers, and then you look at New Avengers, and then you look at Superman, those are different keys of the same instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I feel like this search for a kind of spectacle meets casual humanism that his work has has sort of strived for throughout uh throughout his career it has continued to evolve and and it's that's what i'd like to shoot for i'd like to sort of refine and expand my toolbox as i go as opposed to just finding what works for me and sticking with that yeah yeah for sure no that makes sense that you don't want to just be like well here's my thing yeah and i've got it down now i'm quite young to decide that you know i'm I'm 32 like this would be a weird time to plateau (laughs) yeah hopefully not hopefully not um so with lavender jack like what you've had this this good long run with it like you said like if you're putting this in comic issue terms you know i don't know what it what it would break down to but you know it's a it's a run like it's a sizable thing what characters have have gone in the most surprising directions for you like as a Mm -hmm. storyteller like ones that you thought you know maybe were going to be small or you had a plan and then something else happened it's yeah it's it's funny um there 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 are some characters like there are very few characters that have just gone in completely different directions like i i feel like i've because they're hewn from such sort of um clear archetypes uh it's 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 hard for them to go too off the reservation but um but the the way that they've thrived within those parameters has surprised me like very quickly into the comic, my favorite character became Honoria Crab, yeah. um, who, you know, at the beginning, she's supposed to be a foil for Madame Ferrier. She's supposed to be very stiff and by the rules. And, and she was supposed to go through a pretty conventional, like, rookie cop learns nuance arc. But, um, but the more I went, the more I realized this is a comic of very subtle, intelligent people who, like, have different types of intelligence. But everybody's pretty smart in the comic. And speaks in this very, um, you know, Bertie Wooster, Agatha Christie kind of kind of uh, gumbo of, of talking, mm-hmm. you know, l- lots of polysyllables, lots of, of understatement. Uh, and so having somebody who is who's just like a just the facts man person who speaks very plainly, who who is like allergic to 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 like coyness yeah. and, and cleverness like what a useful character and and also she doesn't know karate but she's a brawler yeah Uh, yeah. she looks good getting beat up um (laughs) i don't know i just love her i love her so much i could write anoria crab forever um and uh i was surprised how kind of humble and modest uh sir memley became you know uh sort of um the idea that if you if you really are cool you don't need to tell people you're cool yeah and it's like if you're if you're a, a rich you know martial arts expert athlete uh genius engineer you just uh, you kind of lay in the cut 
You know, when it's time to do your job, you do it. And the rest of the time, you don't need to put people down. So little things like that. Um, is The big failure for me about the comic in terms of like a character who had a lot of potential that I just didn't capitalize on is Abby Coral, the, the um, editor and extraordinary of the gallery mm. glossary. Interesting, like, yeah. She, she's introduced as like Mimley's close friend who doesn't know he's Lavender Jack, which is a, like a, a classic secret identity trope, um, which I love. Secret identities are awesome. People who don't think there should be <laughs> secret identities in comics are, 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 have a different opinion than me. That's, that's how I'll say that. <laughs> that's that's um, the nicest way to say it. Yeah. And uh, as the series went on, like her utility just kind of went away because it, it, she kind of comes down to being another investigative character mm. in a comic full of them. Yeah. Um, the thing I, I so wish I had done, because it would have made all the sense in the world, is um, I wish I had made her his aunt instead of his friend. Because mm. um, in, in the uh, P.G. Wodehouse, Jeeves and Wooster stories, and Sir Mimley is most heavily drawn from Bertie Wooster. Um, he... this, this series introduced me to P.J. Uh, Wodehouse. That was, that was my first experience. It's delightful. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's really delightful material. Very and fun. the idea of like, what if... Like it, Bruce Wayne and Britt Reed and Lamont Cranston and uh, all, all these characters kind of pretend to be Bertie Wooster characters, but actually they're quite serious. Mm -hmm. I thought, what if what if he wasn't pretending? What if he's actually like that? Yeah, he's yeah. just also a serious vigilante. Um, but uh, so Bertie has a, a two, sometimes three, kind of domineering ants. Uh, one of whom is never pleased. The other whom is kind of his pal, but is like dangerously ditzy and uh Mimley makes like reference to having an aunt who's passed away but i would i would love if abby abby was like his aunt through marriage mm. who would who would have known him longer who could give more like insight into how he's changed because there's really nobody who knows him before who knows him now and we're very vague about um like how long abby and Mimley have been friends and like how their relationship right. started Right. Um, the only person who really has known him that long is Dame Doctor Agatha Sampat, um, who who he he and and their late friend, his late boyfriend uh, Geo, like, yeah. they, they invented this great thing together. But then she's tied to his origin story, so she can't have the same kind of objectivity that mm. Abby could have had if I just positioned her in the plot differently. Yeah, I mean, hearing you say it, I'm just like, yep, like all, like everything about this would fit, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, hindsight on that one for sure. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's such a it's such a fully built out cast that certainly you have enough enough going on that I I suspect most readers aren't like, oh man, like I really wish, <laughs> I really wish they had they had gone with the family angle on uh, uh, on the newspaper lady. Um, there really isn't anybody I dislike, which is a nice thing to say. Yeah, sure. It, no characters nice that you're like, oh, I gotta do this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's there's nobody who's a chore. That's good. That's good. How much? So one of the unique things about releasing via webtoon is you get like an instant comment section on your performance, right? Which I imagine is quite different than you know the standard comics approach, right? Where it's just word of mouth and social and and reviews and stuff. Uh, how much attention do you pay to that, and how dangerous can that be? <laughs> well, I remember. 
up till now, when I did the Spirit and when I, I drew that uh, Battlestar Galactica miniseries and some other just short things I've done, yeah. um, I, I became addicted to checking, I think it's called Comic Book Roundup, which is like yeah. a, a review aggregator. Yeah. Um, but um, but it's it all comes later. And a lot of times the reviews are fairly um, uh, broad. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a lot of in-depth reaction. And so when when Lavender Jack debuted on Webtoon, I saw that very quickly there were 26 comments. I'm like, holy cow, that's so many. Yeah, yeah. Like not knowing that every episode would get like 100 minimum as, as it went on. I didn't read the comments for the longest time. I didn't read the comments for like the first half of season one just because I was nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I started reading them. And as the series evolved, I became so pleased so i guess grateful even weirdly proud for the audience the comics built up these are Mm. these are very intelligent sensitive people um and some of them say very nice things um a comment was pointed out to me uh just today I, i have somebody who's sort of uh somebody kind of special to me who started who's now reading lavender jack for the first time and looking at the comments and they pointed this comment out um in season three, Memley says something about scars. Um, I don't remember the exact line, but it's something like, uh, you know, that scars are evidence of a, of a life lived, something like that. Mm-hmm. And somebody uh, in the comments talked about a, a, a scar that they, a, a series of scars they just picked up over the course of their life and how that gave them a different perspective on it. Like, I don't know. Nobody ever said that about the spirit. Like, it, <laughs> yeah, it was such right. a like, like these people really connect with it. Um, and there's a community building aspect that I think you don't, you just can't get with the the traditional comics release format. That's true. It's really true. Because in the traditional comics release format, there isn't like a central place to comment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're you're talking about it on Reddit or on Twitter or on Facebook, but um, and those are three very different audiences, by the way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but with webtoon pretty much everybody's talking about it in the comments right under the episode um and the 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 viewers the the readership like overall very positive um and if somebody comes in with something gnarly to say they police that guy like the other people in the comments like vote him down and uh and like hey we don't we don't talk that way here um i'm i'm barely ever in the comments at all because they just manage themselves so well. Right. And furthermore, there are, there are eagle-eyed fans in the comics who have predicted twists, who have like solved bits of the mystery beforehand. Mm-hmm. And instead of like changing the mystery to stay ahead of them, I'm like, awesome. Like, it's, it's so gratifying to me that I put the pieces in place that allow you to, to predict that. Yeah. Okay. Um, there, there is, there's one case where the readers predicted a character that hadn't even shown up yet. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, this is so cool. Like, th- this awesome. is, yeah. yeah, it is awesome, isn't it? Like, this is the audience I, I like dreamed of finding this comic. That's amazing. I'm, I'm perpetually fascinated by because I'm most websites or YouTube or whatever. I would never scroll down and like read the comments as like part of the experience. Like I don't need that. Um, but on Webtoon, I always want to read the first three because they're so consistently positive. There's such a a love for the story that folks are reading together. Like it's it's 
tremendously unique to me in my experience <laughs> of what of what fandom often can be. Like it's it's like the purest like I love this comic and I'm glad to be here with people that love it too. It's very nice. It is very pure. And because it's sort of a younger version of, of fandom culture, like yeah. not everybody who reads the comic is a, a teenager, um, but uh, but the the culture of consuming content is is very like young and, and TikToky. Uh, they uh, uh, they like memeify the comic in a really like cool way. Like the idea of people being really thirsty for Anoria crab is <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that emerged pretty quickly. <laughs> um, there was this. Uh, like like people would make memes of the of the black note the season two villain uh, mm, like yeah. they they on, like on on Twitter they would make image edits of of like him about to blast somebody with his his sound weapon instead of what he's saying they they put in like anyway here's Wonderwall so <laughs> they're just yeah. like they're funny and yeah. like I'm I'm a I'm a pretty like I'm kind of a boomer I'm 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 easily charmed by stuff like that but. It's a. Uh, it's just so fun to see people engaging with it. And and by the way, the fan art, amazing what some people have done. Not not mm. even. Geez, I do sound eighty, but it's it's a it's really cool. Like people <laughs> the thing have made, these kids are doing out here right? with their fan art. <laughs> um, uh, some people have done fan comics. Um, some people have uh, done like, um, like dubstep, like. I don't know animatics. Oh, that's that, cool. That become, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, there's there's one person who who did. I don't know. Like I, I found Lavender Jack. Uh, like sl- like slashed with Birdie Wooster. I found a, a fanfic of that. <laughs> okay, nice. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's just really, you know, why why do this if you don't want something you create to have a life of its own in other people's heads. Mm-hmm. And to see that happening with Lavender Jack has has genuinely been the most gratifying experience of my career. That's amazing. That's good. What are, what are you happiest with as far as your own development as a creator and as a storyteller? You know, now that you're you're approaching the conclusion, right? We're here in the final moments. Um, what's the stuff where you look back and you're like, I I got so much better at blank. Hmm. I think I've. I still struggle with this sometimes, but I think I've gotten better at at realizing that story um, everything is a vehicle for character. That if if the character isn't, if the characters, if their personalities, if their wants and and their different strengths and weaknesses, if those aren't firmly established, then the plot is it's basically uh, just a a word puzzle. Like it, you need that emotional content for everything to, to feel right. And, and even though we, I thought we did have a good version of that in season one. Um, a lot of that had to do with the fact that we were using uh, pretty well-established storytelling tropes. You know, there were the detectives trying to solve essentially a serial killer case. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if uh, in terms of how the plot worked, you know, uh, with, with Farrier and Crab trying to find Lavender Jack and then, Nimley and Ducky on a, a revenge mission. Like it's, it's over here. It's seven, and over here it's Death Wish. Like these are. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I was able to develop the characters inside of that, but then you get into season two and especially season three. These are pretty, in my opinion, pretty original types of story, and so, like I've I've had to develop my ability to 
not get so lost in the plot that you forget to have the character moments that make the thing worthwhile. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So before Lavender Jack, you, you worked more in, not more, but you worked very deliberately in noir mm-hmm. um, with San Hannibal and, and the spirit, certainly. Uh, you mentioned kind of noirish elements, certainly to Lavender Jack, which are there. Uh, what are some of your favorites of the genre? Like, what are some of your, your go-tos for inspiration and things that you love there? Oh, wow. Well, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big Philip Marlowe fan. I like the hard boiled books um, Mm. and they got turned into great noir movies. Uh, One of my favorites is murder. My sweet, um, which is a a film adaptation of farewell. My lovely. It has Mm. Dick Powell as Philip Marlowe has this amazing opening scene where we, we enter a police interrogation room and Marlowe has his eyes bandaged and he's being grilled by these cops and the whole movie is told, you know, at, hits his testimony to the cops mm-hmm. before he'll before he'll talk. He makes him put a cigarette in his mouth and light it, almost like he's up against a firing wall. Yeah, that one's awesome. Um, I love I love Double Indemnity. Um, sure. And even if this isn't always thought of as as part of the noir canon, but um, and it's also a, almost a boring answer, but I love Casablanca. Like Casablanca <laughs> yeah, for no, my money is like a perfect movie. And you, and you see yeah. there are a lot of um, like a lot of the, my attempts to do romance scenes in Lavender Jack. Um, a lot of those pull from some Casablanca visual cues. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I'm a big fan of noir. Um, there've been great neo-noir works. Like uh, one of my favorite movies is the conversation Francis Ford Coppola in fact, uh, we referenced the end of the conversation in season two where Gene Hackman's uh, surveillance expert main character has has become convinced that there's some kind of surveillance equipment in his apartment. And so the last scene is him searching the apartment and then like taking everything off his bookshelves and then tearing the bookshelves down. And, and by the end of it, he's like ripping up floorboards. He's destroying his apartment trying to find mm-hmm. this thing. And... Uh, and I, I, I was so taken by that, that, that a character does that in season two. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, uh, I'm a big movie guy, so I, I could go on about this for a while. But I think that um, I'm definitely, I'm definitely a, an artist and a writer who takes a lot of cues from movies. Sure. And, um, and the, the fingerprints of, of those are all over Lavender Jack. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I I got to do Double Indemnity and Casablanca for the first time earlier this year. I was oh. I was catching up. I, I had like a string of interviews with with Norish, uh, comics creators. So I was like, oh, you know, I should really uh, should really take the time <laughs> to do some think? of these things. I love Double Indemnity. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, that was a blast. I was Casablanca. I was I was into. Um, and it, it's one of those things where like my expectations were so high. You know, they, they were impossibly high. It's Casablanca. Right, right. And then it was like, I was like, yeah, that's good. And it's like, that almost feels like a disappointment, like in mm-hmm. a weird way. Um, Maltese Falcon was the one definitely where I was like, oh. that was another one where I'm like, okay, expectations are through the roof. And I fell asleep. And I feel like that sounds like a criticism, but it's kind of, that says more about me at the time that I watched <laughs> it probably than the movie. I still had a good time with it. Right. Um, but I, I think double, oh, uh, Sunset Boulevard was my favorite. That oh, my Sunset favorite Boulevard, forget about it. Yeah. That that movie, one of the all time great openings, floating in the in the pool. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I feel like part of why Lavender Jack has picked up the audience on Webtoon that it has is 
you know, in general, the readership is younger on that platform. And so there are a lot of people who've never been exposed to anything noirish before, who've never read Sherlock Holmes or, sure. or Agatha Christie or, um, or seen, I mean, a small portion of my audience has like seen Double Indemnity. Um, so a lot of them are being exposed to that for the first time. But also, um, like there are people in the audience who, who like, um, there was a, like a, a, a JC Leyendecker painting I based a panel off of and people noticed that. Mm. Um, there was a, uh, there are some oblique references to the Scarlet Pimpernel Broadway musical in the comic, which is weirdly a big influence. <laughs> okay. And people caught yeah. it. Uh, and so when people do catch those things, they feel so like connected to it. Like why, yeah, why yeah. is the, why is there a big O reference in this? Uh, and, uh, I mean, this is the joy of making really specific work, work that's really personal to you is like, not everybody's going to get it, but if somebody does, I mean, it's it's the it's the 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 spider sense you're like me thing. Yeah, yeah, um, right. Yeah, it's very rewarding. Yeah, oh, it's cool. It's cool. Uh, do you get like um like analytics and like demographic data about the audience from Webtoon? Like, how do they? How does that piece of it work? Do you I have like get, a creator dashboard? They send it to you. I don't get any uh, demographic data. I get um, some viewership numbers. That's another thing that I think has kept Lavender Jack around for a while, despite it's low raw numbers, it's, it's low gross numbers. Um, because, you know, in the general idea of, of online engagement, like people who actually comment, like, repost, link to, what have you, a, a, a piece of online content, like roughly can be assumed to be one in 10. Like mm -hmm. if you do that, that's a healthy average engagement ratio. But Lavender Jack, it's something like 30%. It's a it's a really high portion of the of the eyeballs on the comic that will like leave a comment link to it. Um, so, um, like I say, I don't have demographics, although I would be very interested. Um, I, I I know we have a lot of fans in uh, in Israel and Palestine. I know we have a lot of fans in uh, in France and Brazil. Um, of course, a lot of Americans and. Um, a lot of Portuguese fans too, um, so I don't know, I don't know quite, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm missing out on some. Um, like we do have uh, a good portion of Japanese readers as well, um, which is kind of fun because for a, a comic with again relatively lower viewership, it's nice that there's that that spread across the world. Um, I would like to know. Maybe maybe they can tell me now. You know, yeah, I've been on the no, platform I, I, for I was a long curious. Time. Sure, sure. I mean, I was curious just in terms of like, if they'd be like, hey, your audience is primarily, you know, 18 to 24. Mm -hmm. And if that would then impact anything you're doing in terms of like trying to cater to that audience, you know, it sounds like obviously not because you haven't been told that. But or if they were like, you know, hey, everyone here is 60 to 70. <laughs> <You'd be> like, <laughs> okay, like, yeah, like, let's lean into the uh, to the PJ Woodhouse and the old Sherlock Holmes, you know, well, it definitely was like early on, there were things like, mm -hmm. you know, plot elements, they asked me to simplify um you know like instead of disaggregate can you say separate things like that mm. um not only because of a younger audience but an international audience you know you don't want to alienate people with with things that are too complex that's interesting yeah um, but in general i think webtoon kind of realized that i had become a little bit 
ungovernable to a degree. <laughs> like I would try to reel back on things and it would just turn into what it turned into. So um, I don't think I could change horses at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good. I mean, it is what it is and it's, it's the fandom, the fandom appreciates it for sure. Right. Um, with the, with the series concluding, um, you know, so we've got, we've got 11 episodes. It's going to come out. Does it come out on a weekly cadence or what's mm-hmm. the release schedule weekly? Um, where do you see on, yourself on going Monday. next? Oh, um, well, uh, I, I have a couple of, I have a couple things that I'm optimistic about. I, I don't, I don't have something firm yet. Um, one project is uh, that I'm that I've worked on a little bit so far um, with uh, with my with the team. It's it's a wow. It's how do you describe an elephant without talking about its ears or trunk? It, uh, <laughs> it it's a chance to create a new character under very specific restrictions that would go to a very different audience than you normally get with big two comics. So that's really exciting. Okay. Um, and it's an opportunity to work with an old collaborator of mine I've wanted to work with, again, on something substantial for a long time. The other thing that might happen, and I'm very, I'm really, this is something I've wanted more than anything in a long time. Like, the, the, uh, I really wanted the spirit, and I really wanted Lavender Jack. This is the, the first thing in four years that I've wanted that much. And it would be, um, it would be kind of similar to Lavender Jack in terms of, uh, schedule and content but it would be very different in terms of format like this would be a a, a a format where i could not do my big verbose thing where i would have to be very um punchy and uh you know brief in my in my language and have to be very focused in my action like mm. this will be if it happens which i really want it to um not only would it be a big audience but it would be it would be like a test of everything I've built up in Lavender Jack, a, a test of all that less is more stuff that, that I've had to, that I've had to learn. And the, the like punishing understanding of time budgeting that I have now, mm. how like uh, you can put four characters in this scene, but then you have to draw them 18 times. So yeah. could we maybe, Maybe one of them comes in at the end. Maybe, maybe instead it's a, yeah. you know, maybe they're on a rooftop at night instead of in a in a library. You know, things like that. Mm. Uh, so that I don't know how how interesting those answers were with how vague I was, but um, you know, hopefully one of those will work out. And if not, I'll figure out I'll figure out the next thing from there. But yeah. I, I know that whatever it is, I will be going into it with um, so much stronger uh, a creator, so much broader a toolbox than I had heading into Lavender Jack. Sure, sure. No, that's got to feel really rewarding. That's that's super cool. Well, whatever whatever the specific announcements wind up being, I, I think it'll be very exciting for fans of the comic. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, I definitely... I. I keep up with your uh, every so often on Twitter, you'll share like, you know, some like big two fan art type stuff. Yeah. Um, so like the, you can tell that the superhero fandom is, is alive and well with what yes. you're, you did a thing recently of Daredevil fighting King Thanos, which was super fun. <laughs> right. Yeah. Those, those little, like during this period where I, I couldn't get that immediate feedback from the Lavender Jack audience um, yeah. it is, it can be very, it, it can, that going from hearing from a bunch of people every week to, to not, can be very jarring 
so doing short comics, whether it's a funny, you know, comic about what if Walter White was Mr. Freeze or something a little more meaningful, like a comic called Yona meets John's brother. I did about taking your superhero brother home for Christmas. Hmm. It's a uh, being able to do those short sloppy things and have sometimes a quite advanced audience reaction. Um, that, that, that kept me going this year when I was too sick to draw the city of gallery. Yeah, that's good. That's good. No, and you put out some fun stuff. I definitely recommend people check it out um, over there on your Twitter. We can link to all that, of course, in the show notes awesome. for the episode. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, okay. So you've got some some stuff coming. We Fingers crossed for you that that all goes according to plan. We shall see. Uh, final question for you. Uh, what are your favorite reads lately? It can be comics or otherwise, but what have you read lately that uh, that you'd recommend? Boy, my my reading has gone... Uh, completely in the in the circular file lately um i i have been reading a lot of online comics because because right now um at, at the beginning of the year my horoscope said you will uh you will advance in your career by embracing new technologies <laughs> okay. and so yeah. i've been i've been embracing like how to do comics on instagram you know how, how to how to do 10 panel comics in squares Right. And uh, and so I'm looking at other people who do that, like uh, the the amazingly revolting Simon Hanselman doing Meg Mog and Owl. <laughs> Crisis um, Zone. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a great uh, Instagram comic called Girl Juice. That's just really know. funny and idiosyncratic. Uh, there's an amazing science fiction horror web comic called Dead Space. No, that's a that's a video game. Um <laughs> Uh, this great black and white sci-fi horror comic, bleak, often very environmental stuff. Um, yeah. So, uh, just googling that, it'll pop up. It's crazy popular. Um, so, little reads like that have been keeping me going. And then um, beyond that, it's been TV and and movies and the the live action stuff that so inspires my work. Sure. Sure. Okay. Now those are good picks. Yeah. I'm, I'm, that's another, it's like webtoon, Instagram comics. There's all these, it's so it's, it's funny. Cause it's like, it kind of annoys me because it feels unruly. I'm like, listen, I am trying to keep tabs of all of these solicits and, and traditional print release schedules. Can you all just play by the rules and, and coordinate yourselves? <laughs> What's well, that's kind of the fun thing is because it's so disparate. Um, and because like when it's something like what I do, uh, it, it, like what I do online where it's just kind of shit posts essentially, um, yeah. it's like something will get big. Like I, I did a comment called Twitter Cops that, that became my most popular thing. Mm. And people would find it and then they would you know, go to my, my Twitter page and they're like, you do Lavender Jack? You're the guy? Yeah. I thought you died. And, or, or like, <laughs> oh man, you're, you're the guy that did the, the Daredevil D's Nuts comic. Amazing. Uh -huh. Yeah. So it's... Like you do, like ev even though it's spread throughout the internet and it's so hard to get people to just sit still and like, it, can, can it just be 2005 and you have a website again? Uh -huh, um, right. It, there's also something to be said for, you know, uh, almost like seeing somebody you met once at a, at a party in six months being like, hey, remember, remember me from Malta? And... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Very that's, good. That's Very the good. hope, anyway. 
<laughs> okay, cool. Well, Dan, this has been a blast. Uh, definitely, I'm excited about the conclusion here at Lavender Jack. We'll include links to all the stuff in the show notes as well for folks who want to check it out. Um, and obviously, one of the super cool things about the Web2 model is you can go and binge the whole thing right now. Um, I had um, I have a, I had an intern. Now they're, now they're doing some freelance work for me this past summer. And one of their assignments was to read Lavender Jack and write a, write a review of it, uh, which they did. And they loved it. They absolutely loved it. So it was really cool getting to see, like, somebody who is not super familiar with comics, um, like, go into Webtoon. And I wasn't sure. I was like, I don't know if they're actually going to like just comics in general. Like, at this point, it was like, you know, kind of a more of a just doing some stuff on the website role. Um, but they loved it. So won, you won over a new comics fan. So that's, that's a win for sure. Thanks for hawking the product. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dan, it's been a blast. Thanks for joining. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. My pleasure. Bye.